Good evening. We are back again uh, for another message in our series, Hope Rising. So far, we have talked about the resurrection. We talked about that the week before Easter on Palm Sunday, because what I wanted to do in this series is flip things upside down. Uh, One of the amazing things about Jesus, and there are obviously millions uh, throughout his ministry, throughout his time on earth, that's what he did also. He flipped things upside down. Everything that the world valued, everything that the world said, uh, Jesus said, that's not how this works. It's more about being kind. It's more about being good. It's more about following uh, God, not looking out for yourself, not being selfish, not being greedy. And so I wanted to make this story different because we hear it so often. Uh, like I've said over and over again, it does just become a story sometimes, but it's not. This is where our faith was born. This is where our sin died. This is such uh, an important part, not just in our history as Christians, but in world history, because this is the most amazing, most miraculous, most courageous sacrifice of all time. And so from the resurrection, last week on Easter, we talked about the crucifixion, and we talked about uh, just Everything that he felt or or must have felt going through that moment. Because it wasn't just hanging on the cross and and dying, which would have been bad enough, suffocating. But he was beaten almost to death. He was betrayed. He was doubted. Uh, the, the, The people that he was dying for made fun of him. They hated him. They mocked him. Everyone was against him in that moment. And yet his heart was for them. His heart was always for them. And so this week we're going to go back another step. And I'm going to be talking about the prayer in Gethsemane and his actual arrest. And, and I want to talk about the title of this week is Being Human. Because you're going to see in this passage, in this, this week, different examples of humanity. You're going to see basically the good examples, what humanity can be that, that is amazing, that is hopeful, that is powerful through Jesus. And then you're going to see kind of the bad, the, the uh, disappointing, the things that we so often cringe at seeing through even the disciples, the Pharisees, uh, Judas, obviously. And so I'm going to start with Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 through 56. Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little further and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Uh, But before I go on, that quote that he has where he's praying straight to God, if you don't have a lot of familiarity with the story of Jesus, if you don't have a lot of of understanding of theology, sometimes that can be kind of a tricky thing because it's like, wait a second, Jesus was doing this willingly, right? Like he was sacrificing himself for us and that is absolutely true. So when he prays to God, God, if there's any other way than for me to sacrifice myself, than for me to die, let it be done. That is not him saying, I don't want to do this. That's not him saying, I don't love them anymore. That is not him saying, I've been too hurt. It is not him saying that I'm scared. None of that is true. Now, Jesus was fully God, as we know, and he was also fully human. And so he felt the same human feelings we feel. Uh, he, he was tempted. He, he, was, he, he felt love. He felt hope. He cried at different times. He felt sorrow. All of those things. And in this moment, he's not feeling fear. He, he's not feeling worry. He, he is feeling anguish, but not for the reasons of death, but for the reasons that he loves us that much. Uh, and he loves us so much that he's about to let himself die for us. But he loves us so much that the time he had on earth with us, the time he had walking with the disciples, praying with the disciples, teaching others, preaching to others, healing other people, during that time, 
He loved it so much because he was with his creation, because he was with us, because he had that life. It wasn't a selfish reason. It was, I have this this wonderful experience with with those that I love. I have this wonderful experience to point others to God. And, And so all of this was on his heart. Now, when you get into theology, you get into the Trinity and you get into God and the Son, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all being one. And that can be confusing. And so I'm not going to go through explaining all that now. Jesus knew the plan. Jesus was a part of the plan because Jesus is God, because they are one God. But in his humanity, he felt such love for the people around him, even those that were about to arrest him. He felt such hope being there that he is going in prayer because he knows it's just moments away from happening. And so before that, he goes to the three basic closest ones. Peter, James, and John were kind of the the, the closest to him. They were sort of the leaders of the disciples after him. And so he's like, hey guys, I want you to keep watch. The other disciples pray. Uh, I'm going to go in here and go really hardcore to, to the Father. And he set an example here of what to do when you're worried, what to do when you're upset. Right now, a lot of us probably are starting to feel that because we're getting near the hopeful end of the quarantine, but we don't know exactly when that's going to be. And so where at first we're like, well, this is the right thing to do, and and this is okay, it's just going to be a couple weeks, and then a couple weeks stretches into a couple months, and then it's like, well, this should end soon, but I don't know what's going to happen. And so you start to miss people, you start to miss things, you start to worry, you start to feel anguish, you start to lose hope. And so Jesus is showing us exactly what to do in those situations because he knows for a fact he is about to die. He knows for a fact what is about to happen and who is about to do it. And so he goes in prayer. Again, for us, for a different reason than than we would expect, but for us. And so I want to continue to what happens next. Then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. So we see that Peter and the other disciples fall asleep within however long the prayer took. And and it's probably late at night uh, to give them a little bit of of credit, to give them a little bit of, yeah, it's okay. Uh, They had been walking with him daily. They had been with him. They also felt the anguish of what was happening, although they didn't fully understand it yet. They didn't fully understand what he was saying, but they felt all of this weighing them down. And if you've ever felt drained over over stress, you've ever felt drained over over how people treat you, over how your life is going, you know that that it can almost be more tiring than if you run a marathon, which why would you run a marathon? Unless a tiger's chasing you, then it's okay. But in, in this case, they fall asleep. And we're like, well, you know, it's late and and they were tired and all of that, so it's okay. This is Jesus asking them, saying, look, the time is short. I need you to do this one thing for me, and I need you to stay awake. And again, it wasn't for him because he knew what was going to happen. But he says to not give in to temptation because he knows that these are his last moments with them, the closest people to him, the people who walked with him for three years, the people who were with him body and soul, through everything that they did, the people who who knew him better than anyone, the people who would spread his message when he was gone. And he knew that he just had a little bit of time left. And so he wanted to really pour into them. If you're a parent or a grandparent or you've ever been a parent or anything in authority, uh, let's say that you're going away for a weekend. And and let's say that that your name is Terry. and You're going away for a weekend and and you're like, hey, the quarantine's over. I'm going to go to Disney World. Kids, you stay home because you got school, whatever. And, And you're like... When you go over all the rules, you go over them the first time. You're like, you know, no parties, no 
pizza because you're mean for whatever reason. Uh, no this, make sure the house is clean, no people, et cetera, et cetera. You know, if you're a parent, if you're in authority, you know that you give these rules. And then like, that's right at first when you're saying, you know, I trust you. And then maybe an hour or two hours later, you're like, okay, now let's go over the rules again. What are they? And you test them. And then right before you leave, you go over the rules again. You put them on the refrigerator and then you put them in the refrigerator because that's where most people will actually see them. And then you kind of uh, bring in a painter to come in and paint them on the wall so that they'll see them all the time. Because when you are about to go away, even for just a weekend, even when you trust your loved ones, even when you trust your kids, even when you trust your students, even when you trust your parents, whoever it is you're trusting, even when you trust them and you know that they have good intentions, you know that, that, that they have learned well and they are good people and that they are doing their best, when you're going away and you're in charge and you have that authority and you have that great love, that a parent, that, that a teacher, that, that someone in charge of someone else who truly loves them can have, you really want to get the point across. Again, not because of them, but because you know you won't be there. And so if they have questions, you may not be able to answer them. If, and even if they can come to you, even if with cell phones, even with all of this, you, you just have this, not, not really a worry, but a concern. Where it's like, I've really got to get this across. I know they know it, and I don't want to annoy them. But, but I really want to make sure that they're safe. I really want to make sure they feel loved. I really want to make sure that they know they're not alone. And, and that's what Jesus is doing here. Because the disciples are like his children. They're like his brothers. They're, they're his family. And so he loves them so much that he's like, hey, stay awake because I want you to really be here in prayer. I want you to be with me for as long as you possibly can because it's going to get hard in a couple days. It's going to get super difficult because people are going to come after you just like they've come after me. And people are going to say awful things about me, about you. And it's going to be really hard to continue what we've been doing. And he says that to them. And that's why he's saying, don't fall asleep. Not because he's mean, not because they don't need it, not because any of that, not because he's scared, but because he loves them so much. He wants them to have that understanding that they are not alone. And so we see within the story just so far, and we'll keep going, examples of humanity. We see the love of, of family, the love of a father coming from Jesus. We see the hope of maybe there's a better way, even knowing that there's not. And if you've ever gone through your life, which you have, obviously, because you're here, but if you've ever had something difficult come up and you're like, this is really going to happen and it's going to be rough and I don't know what I'm going to do. Maybe you have a job change. Maybe you have to move. Uh, maybe you're changing your major. Maybe you have a big test in, in high school or something. And, and you have this coming up. And so you're like, I know it's going to happen, but hey, if something were to happen to stop this, that'd be okay. And it's not necessarily, maybe in the case of tests, it's not necessarily that you don't want to do it or you don't think it's right. It's that you want to, to continue on your path of good, of love, and all of that. And so we see all of that, and we see that hope. We see that desire in him. We see that grace, that forgiveness. Because he doesn't come back and say, you guys suck. You fell asleep. I can't believe it. You're worthless. Get out of here. He says, guys... This is for you. I want you to stay awake. I want you to be here. I want you to feel this. I want you to know this. And so we see that. And from the humans, the actual not savior humans, the disciples, we see a very small betrayal. Now, if you've ever been betrayed, you know that the scale doesn't matter whether it's small or big, but you see them essentially disobey, not on purpose, not to be a jerk, not to be mean, not because they thought they knew better, but they go against what he said 
just because it happens. And sometimes that's what our life is. And so we start to see what it means to be human. What it means on each side. Because for the disciples, as a human, you're going to screw up sometime. You're going to have days where you mess up. Where you don't do what you're supposed to do. Or you do what you're not supposed to do. Or you say the wrong thing. Or you wear a Homestar Runner shirt a couple weeks ago. And people are like, what is that, Batman? It's never going to be Batman, guys. Marvel for life. And it's all of this stuff that you, you feel and you know because you're human. Because you're weak sometimes. And you're strong sometimes. And you're good sometimes. And you do stupid things sometimes. But in that humanity is such hope because we see through Jesus the perfect form of humanity. We see what we can be. We see who we can be if we continue to do that. And so if you know, well, I'm human, I'm going to mess up. There are basically two paths you can take that way. You can be like, okay, I'm going to mess up. So whatever happens, happens. Then I'll ask for forgiveness after. That's stupid. If you do that, it's going to be a problem at some point because eventually, it will go from, I'll ask for forgiveness after, to, I'll ask for forgiveness after the next time, and then the next time, and then the next time. And you stop asking. And so your heart changes, and your life changes. But if you understand, I'm human. And so I'm probably going to mess up sometimes. I'm going to do my best not to. I'm going to do my best to be like Jesus. But when I do, when I mess up, I am going to give myself grace by going straight to him and saying, I knew that I would do this. I knew that this would happen. Please help me to not let it happen again. And you go to him. And that's what we start to see here. And so going to the next part. Then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, My father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went to pray a third time, saying the same thing again. Then he came to the disciples and said, Go ahead and sleep, have your rest. But look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Uh, up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. And so here we see again that the disciples, again, couldn't stay awake for that amount of time. Uh, again, going back to if you're a parent, if you're a student, if you're somebody in charge, often you will find that when you want your kids, your, your students, your your people under you, your employees, whatever. I don't know how real life works, apparently. But when you want them to do exactly what they're supposed to do, uh, you know, it can be kind of rough because it's like, hey, you need to study or you need to get rest and you need to do this. They'll find hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of reasons not to, just like we do in life. But when it's like, ah, you know, they're okay, they're off. It's spring break, it's quarantine, we don't have to get up. Man, they get up early. Or if they're little kids, like on Christmas Day, it goes from like the day before you can't get them out of bed to Christmas Day. It's like five in the morning and they're like, hey, we're up. Let's go play. Let's go do this. And you know that's how it works. And so the disciples in other circumstances probably would have been okay. To, they would have been strong enough to stay awake. But here, for whatever reason, they kept giving in. And, and again, they weren't doing this because they were trying to hurt Jesus. They weren't doing this because of any bad reason necessarily. They just didn't understand what was happening. They knew what he was saying. They knew what the case was. They knew what was going to happen from his mouth, from what he'd said, from what he predicted, from what he prophesied. But they didn't fully, I don't want to say believe, but they didn't fully grasp it. Because I think all of them had seen so much of Jesus. They had seen so much power, so much amazing so many miracles, so, so much everything, that it's like, well, this can't obviously happen. Like, there's no way this can happen. There's a point a little bit before 
where Peter says, hey, you're the Messiah. And Jesus is like, you're the first one to say that. That's why you're going to be the rock of the church. You understand this. And then just a little bit later, like minutes later, Peter's like, but you're never going to die. Like, you know, you're wrong. And, you know, he doesn't say you're wrong. But by saying that, he's going against what Jesus had just said. And so Jesus is like, get, get away from me, Satan. Like, what are you talking about? This is not going to go this way. Because the disciples, like the Pharisees, like everyone at this time, had certain expectations of, of what the Messiah would be. They expected his kingdom to be on earth. They expected him to be a warrior. They expected him to take down Rome, to take down all of Israel's enemies. That's what they expected. Even though the disciples were with Jesus every day to know, well, this clearly isn't what it is. Knowing something and knowing something are two very different things. And so they just don't quite grasp what is happening. And we see again another small betrayal from them where they just couldn't do for this one moment, stay awake, couldn't listen, couldn't pray, couldn't do whatever. And we see in Jesus another, the ultimate example of what it means to, to be the best human we can be. He prays and says, God, Father, this is what I hope will happen. But if it can't, Whatever you say goes. He doesn't say, this is what I hope will happen, and then we'll talk. He doesn't say, man, this is just too hard. Let's go, let's go palaver and come up with another uh, plan later. He, he doesn't say any of the things that we like to bargain, we like to say. He says, no matter what, no matter what I think, no matter what I want, no matter what happens, it's what you will that matters. That's how we should pray. It is perfectly okay to pray for a new job, to pray for more money, to pray for a relationship. Not if you're in a relationship, don't do that. But to pray for something good, to pray for something that could be conceived as selfish, but you want it for the right reasons. It's perfectly okay to pray to be published, to pray for whatever thing you're praying for. But it's another thing entirely to then listen to God and say, well, you know, I know that you're leading me this way, but I don't really want that. So let's keep praying for what I want, and then we'll get to the line of, of what you want eventually. We pray, okay, God, I would like this to happen. If it's at all possible, help this to happen. Help me to get published. Help me to get a new car. Help me to get more money, whatever it is. But at the end of that, say, but... All that really matters is what you will for my life. Uh, in my life, and I've talked about this before, um, I've talked a lot lately, so I have no idea when I've said this, but I felt called to the ministry in, in college. And so I had gone to college with the hope, the desire burned into me my, by my great-grandparents to be a doctor. Uh, and then, you know, I immediately changed my major even before school started. And then I changed it again because I was terrified of public speaking. Hey, And then I, I changed it again. And so I was an English major. And then my senior year in college, when it's almost done, I felt called into the ministry. And I didn't know what that meant. Now, I went and got my master's, but I started volunteering. And there were a lot of things in there. There was a dark period where I didn't know where I fit. And I didn't know how to follow. And I didn't know what to do. But I, I eventually did follow him. Not because I'm special, but because I, I trusted him. And so there have been, since that point, many times where maybe I had another option or maybe something else could have happened and where I could have said, God, let me do this. Like, let me go this way because this is really hard. But I try to say, okay, this may be what I want, but I want to do what you want. And it's hard. And there have absolutely been times where maybe I didn't say that because it's tricky and it's hard and because we're human. But I try with my life to continue saying, no matter what happens, it's what 
what, all that matters to me is what you want. And so that's what Jesus is showing us here. And then we get to the very difficult part. And so I want to go to the next verse, which is, and even as Jesus said this, Judas, one of the 12 disciples, arrived with a crowd of men armed with swords and clubs. They had been sent by the leading priests and elders of the people. The traitor Judas had given them a prearranged sign. You will know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. So Judas came straight to Jesus. Greetings, Rabbi, he exclaimed, and gave him the kiss. Jesus said, my friend, go ahead and do what you have come for. Uh, now, Judas knew who Jesus was. He didn't need to say, he didn't need to, to kiss him in order to show it. That was for the Romans because they really didn't know anything but Roman business. They didn't care. And so we have, in many ways rightfully, turned Judas into the greatest villain in the history of anything. And don't get me wrong, he betrayed him and he did it greedily and selfishly. And he absolutely is a villain. And he did the wrong thing and he turned, he put his own desires, his own needs above Jesus. But I think that Judas was like the other disciples. I think that he thought so highly of Jesus. Now, he wasn't truly following him because he was stealing before that. But I think he thought so highly of Jesus. And he thought he had so much power that when they came to him and he had this opportunity to make some money and betray his friends, he probably thought, and there's no way to prove this, but he probably thought, you know, I could get some money here. And then Jesus, like he's raised the dead, like he can get out of anything. So I can get some money. He'll never know it was me. Although, the, you know, the walking up to him and betraying him is kind of tricky. But it's like, he'll be okay and I'll get forgiveness and we'll all be okay. And, and that's why Judas eventually killed himself, I believe, because he saw him die on the cross. And he's like, what have I done? And so instead of saying, what have I done? Can I have forgiveness? He gave up and you don't want to give up. But I believe that he thought... He had reasons. Now, there's a phrase about the best intentions. And so often in our lives, this is what we do. And so often in our lives, people think that they are doing the right thing for the wrong reasons. They think that they, they have the right answer no matter what else. And that's what Judas was. And so he did the wrong thing and he paid for it. And, and it sucks for everybody. But the other thing that I want to pull out here that we don't often talk about, because again, Judas, Pharisees, they're villains. Judas was with him for three years, regardless of what he'd stolen, regardless of what he said, regardless of how annoying he was, regardless of what his hair looked like, regardless of, of whatever about him. Maybe he smelled, maybe he was annoying, whatever. Regardless of all of that, he was with him for three years. And so Jesus loved him. He would have loved him anyway, but he was one of Jesus' 12 closest friends on earth. So imagine for a second, like the 12 people that are closest to you in your entire life. It could be family, it could be friends, whoever, people that you love, people that you trust, people that you respect, people that you know. And I would guarantee that out of those 12, there's been at least one that you've argued with at some point in the last year. Like you've had a stupid argument or a good argument or something. Obviously, a stupid argument is when they win. A good argument is when you win. But, but you've had that feeling of animosity, maybe just for a moment, but you've had problems. But they're your closest people. They're your circle of friends, your family. They're the 12 people. Now, imagine one of them, and it doesn't matter where they rank, one of them betrays you to the IRS or the FBI or whatever today would be. And they betray you. Hopefully, there's nothing that can get you betrayed to that. But... but they betray you for whatever reason. They go behind your back. They steal your job. They do something awful. They steal your car. They betray you in a seemingly unforgivable way. Now, you're going to be upset at the betrayal. You're going to be like, this is awful. This person sucks. I can't believe this. But imagine the hurt on top of that of, this was somebody that knew me. 
This was someone who was there for my birthday, someone who was there for, for you know, all of the family gatherings, someone who was there every day, someone who knew everything about me, who, who knew my heart, someone who loved me. And they did this. They turned on me. They betrayed me. That's what happened here. So take everything you think about Judah society. He absolutely was a villain. And he absolutely was the core of evil in this moment. But before this moment, even knowing what he was going to do, he was one of Jesus' 12 closest friends in the entire world. And so when Jesus saw him, even though he knew, just like he knew he was going to die, even though he knew he was about to be betrayed, he had to think, man, my, my friend, my brother, the person who I helped, the person whose feet I washed, the person who I gave chance after chance to, how can this happen? And that had to break his heart. And so this is absolutely about him being arrested and taken for something he didn't do and killed for something we did. But it is also about this betrayal, this human desire for self over everything else. And we all get caught up in this one time or another. We all go a little too far to get a promotion or a little too far to get ahead or a little too far to, to do whatever. Maybe you, you have cheated before on, on a test or you've done something that you know is wrong. You've stolen like a candy bar or a magazine, something small. And you're like, okay, this is small and you know, I'll pay extra next time or, or I'll ask for forgiveness and he'll forgive you. But humanity has this awful center point of putting self above everything. And we see it from creation on. At time after time after time, humans, which is all of us, no matter what you think about people, which is all of us, humans put themselves above everything else, even without knowing it sometimes. And so that's what Judas is doing here. And you see Jesus, who is the best of everything, seeing that, feeling that, being betrayed and betrayed and betrayed, and still saying, go ahead and do it. He, he could have said bad things to him, he could have cursed him, he could have struck him down, he could have done all kinds of things. He could have said, you never were important to my ministry, you had nothing to do with this, you were just here for this purpose. He looked at him, and I guarantee, on top of that hurt and that heartbreak, he still felt love, and he felt sorrow for what he knew was going to happen and what he knew he had decided, and so we see humanity at its best and its worst, and I'm going to continue a little bit more. Then the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. But one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword and struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear. Put away your sword, Jesus told him. Those who use the sword will die by the sword. Don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect me, to protect us, and he would send them instantly. But if I did, how would the scriptures be fulfilled that describe what must happen now? Now, in other translations, in other Gospels, it, we know that this is Peter that does this. Peter who loved him. Peter who believed in him. Peter who was his closest friend. Peter who, who was so bold and strong and right at the front. Peter who was about to doubt him. But in this moment, we see the misunderstanding the disciples have that so many of us have. He thought that this would be done by force. He thought that because humans respond to power and, and violence, humans respond to to popularity and things like that and looks and, and attractiveness and, and money and things that you have. He thought, well, that's how it goes. So we start this. We have to do something bad to accomplish something good. How many times have we had that thought run through our heads? And Jesus says, no, no, no. This isn't how it works. And he makes an awesome case like saying, hey, I could get out of this if I wanted to. But this isn't who we are. And so we see the hum human side, the humanity, the bad side of humanity, which is betrayal. 
and greed and selfishness and violence. But we see Jesus showing us who we should be, who we should try to be, who our best selves can be with forgiveness and grace and peace. I could go through for the next 40 minutes, and everybody would get bored and obviously turn off the live stream, but I could go for the next 40 minutes of listing times in history, in the history of the world, that people have done the wrong thing for what they felt were the right reasons. People who have even stood up in God's name to do evil because they either misunderstood or they didn't care. And we see that here. And we kind of go over it sometimes because Peter became an amazing minister, an amazing part of the faith, but he did the wrong thing. And he believed in what he was doing, just like Paul believed in what he was doing in killing the Christians. Just like everybody believes in what they're doing. One of the things that we kind of misunderstand with humanity is we look at somebody we dislike, whether it's politically or because they've done evil things, someone who has murdered, someone who has uh, led other nations against us, someone who has done something awful, maybe just to you personally, and we look at them as black and white, as cut and dried. And it's like, okay, they did the wrong thing, so they're the bad person. The thing that we never remember is every single person, every single person in the history of time always thinks they're the hero of their story. The bad people all think, well, I may be doing bad now, but this is to accomplish something good. Now, sociopaths and psychopaths, they think the something good is to benefit them, and you know, obviously you're getting into that. But I'm talking world leaders, political people, uh, congressmen, senators, presidents, all throughout history. Regardless of what side of the aisle you're on, regardless of what you believe, regardless of who you are, the vast majority of humans, in power, not in power, in your life, not in your life, they believe in what they are doing. It's not to tick you off, it's not to hurt you. They think that they're right, and they're doing the wrong thing. And maybe we've gotten caught up in that before. Maybe you've done something to, to hurt someone else, and you're like, what's for revenge? Well, God says, revenge is for me. And so that's what happens here. Peter is doing the wrong thing in God's name. Just like churches like Westboro Baptist have done the wrong thing in God's name. Just like Hitler and people throughout time have done the wrong thing in the name of good. Just like we see this time and time and time again. And again, I could name example after example after example. And yet, Jesus says, this is how we do things. We don't become what we're fighting against in order to be who we are. This is what kills me especially in presidential election times, especially in politic times, I, I watch on Facebook and I see half of the people talking about the stimulus check coming up and I see half the people saying, well, the people that say he's not your president, they shouldn't spend this, they should send it back. And then the other half saying, well, the people who say socialism is bad, they shouldn't spend this, they should send it back. And that's ridiculous because both of them, you get money, you get money. And so we see this over and over and over again. We see a lack of caring for the other side. We see a lack of caring for everything but ourself. We see that in Peter. And we hear Jesus saying, hey, there is an absolute right and wrong. And there is a good side and a bad side. And you should do the right thing. You should be on the, the side of right. And you should speak up for your beliefs. You should fight for your beliefs. But you should never become what you are fighting against. Because that is not justified. And so that is what we see here. That is the ultimate good and bad of humanity. We see someone who is so confused and hurt and betrayed himself that he goes and fights just like the soldiers were willing to do, just like Judas was doing, just like the Pharisees were doing. And we see Jesus calmly fix it, heal it, 
Not just with his, his hands, with his power, but with his words to Peter and with his forgiveness later. We see him say, this is about peace. I know that you think that you're so right that everybody else needs to just listen. And maybe that's true. But this is about being that rightness. Being that light. Being that example. Being that, that person. That, that light like Jesus. And he shows us what humanity can be while fighting against what it is sometimes. And he says very simply, hey, this is not how we do. We treat others like we want to be treated no matter what they do. And maybe you do stand up, and Jesus absolutely would call people out from time to time. And there are consequences for people that do the wrong thing, absolutely. But it was always with love and grace and peace and forgiveness. And it was always being who you should be. And so last part of scripture, and then I'll be done. Then Jesus said to the crowd, Am I some dangerous revolutionary that you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me at the temple? I was there teaching every day. But this is all happening to fulfill the words of the prophets as recorded in scripture. At that point, all the disciples... Uh, deserted him and fled. And so you see, he does call them out. He calls out Judas and the, the soldiers. And he doesn't do it violently. He doesn't do it cruelly. He does it in a way where they know he sees their hearts. And he says, hey, I've been here every single day and I have not hidden who I am. And I have not ran away and I have not uh, pretended not to be Jesus. I have been here and I have preached and I have healed and I have done everything I can. Why now? Why in the dark? Because we do things in the dark that we know are wrong. And they even then knew what was wrong and they still did it. And he says, you are doing the wrong thing, no matter what your reasons are. But watch how I do this, because this is the final example on earth that I will set for you. And we see from there, where the last couple weeks, we see how he handled crucifixion in a way more graceful and more peaceful than anyone else could have. And throughout all of this, he was completely right and he even said it. Angels could have come down and stopped it at any time. That could have been the end of everything. That could have been Armageddon because he had the power. And to go to Armageddon, if you're familiar with Revelation, which is one of my favorite books, and maybe at some point I'll talk about that. Uh, if you look at where Armageddon is listed, where they talk about the final battle between good and evil, between the Antichrist, the devil, and, and good, and Jesus. As soon as Jesus is there, it's over. It's one sentence. Because that's how long something can stand in the face of true power, of true goodness, of God. That's how long. It's not even a fight. And so that's what Jesus is saying. He's like, hey, you're human. And you're going to be stupid sometimes. And you're going to get upset. And you're going to have arguments. And you're going to have hurt feelings. And hurt people hurt people. But keep trying to be better. Keep trying to be like me. Keep trying to stand up and be that change you want to see in the world. Sometimes you will have to stand up and, and yell for what you believe. Sometimes you may have to fight for what you believe, but always in the right way. And that's what Jesus taught the disciples each and every way. And that's what he teaches us throughout this ordeal, throughout this story, where he's betrayed by the people that loved him, and he's betrayed by the people that hated him, and he's betrayed by the people that don't know him. And yet he showed them understanding and love and hope. And then he went and he died for them. But then he came back and he said, hey, there is no way to justify the evil that is done in this world. But there is one way to escape it. You look at me, you follow me, and you do your best to be like me. And that's where we are today. And that is what this series is about. Because going backwards through this, we're able to get context 
to everything that happened and why it happened. But through it all, we see that hope of Jesus, the ultimate form of humanity, the ultimate good, everything that we aspire to be. And so in these days of turmoil, in these days of of anger, in these days of unsureness, uncertainty is the word I wanted, in these days of trouble, you're not going to be perfect. But you serve someone who is. So when you feel that anger, when you feel that lack of hope, when you feel that lack of understanding, when you feel that violence creeping in, stop yourself. You have to train yourself to do this. Stop yourself and look at him and say, God, let me be like you in the garden. Let me be like you on the cross. Let me show people what is right. Let me fight for you in the right way. Let me be like you. And that is what all of us can do. Young, old, everything in between. That is who we are. And that is why we are here. That's all I got.